Welcome into another News for Jags podcast. I'm Jamal St. Cyr alongside Justin Barney, and it's an exciting week for the Jaguars. They officially are represented in Canton, Ohio. How about that? It's been really, when you look back at the last week, it's been a pretty exciting time to be in Jacksonville. It's You, know, you hire a new coach last week, turn the page from Urban Meyer, Trevor's on board, there's ice cream conversations and everything in town. It's just been a good time. And then, oh, by the way, Tony Baselli going to the Hall of Fame. It's been a nice positive energy shift. It was a little bit depressing there for a little bit. But now uh, things are rolling. You know, you've got a Hall of Famer in Tony Baselli, a local guy going in the Hall of Fame, uh, Leroy Butler. Uh, so a lot of good things going for on the football front here in Jacksonville. Uh, let's start with Tony Baselli. Uh, you know, it's been a wait for him. Uh, 16 years after his career wrapped up, been a finalist. Six times, that six times turned out to be the charm. He finally gets into Canton, Ohio. I mean, uh, just great for the for the franchise, great for the city of Jacksonville, great for Tony Baselli. I mean, big congratulations there for that guy. I mean, he was incredible out on the football field. The only knock people kind of had on him was that his career was cut short by injuries. But when he was out there, no one questioned just how dominant of a player he was. The first player drafted by the Jaguars in franchise history, and now. NFL Hall of Fame. Yeah, when you look at the knock on Tony, the only knock on him was that he didn't do it for a long enough period of time. And, um, right, yeah, that's rightfully so. And I think had he played in a different market, had he played in Pittsburgh, New York, uh, somewhere like that, where it was a, a bigger market, I don't even think that would have been brought up. You look at Terrell Davis, that's kind of the most modern era comp for Tony. He played 20 less games than, than Tony did. The Super Bowl, obviously, he had a rushing team, so he had some pretty signature moments in the um, but he had that career, which was very short as well. And you look back at the Hall of Famers, there were 28 guys in the Hall of Fame who had fewer games than Tony Baselli. So I think that the more that went on, the more voters got in tune of what he did, uh, the best of his era, really. Just a guy that um, really should have been in the Hall of Fame, but I think with Tony, I think the wall market thing is that injury short of career. And oh, by the way, you got guys coming in here and fire first battle Hall of Famer in the last two years. He's up two or three spots on that Hall of Fame ballot. Kind of pushing the uh, boulder uphill, but it finally came to pass for Tony Baselli. And great for the city. I think everybody can can get behind that. What would be even better is if Tony had some company uh, in teal and uh, blue, excuse me, teal and white in the Hall of Fame, and Fred Taylor. We'll see if the we'll see if that happens. Fred's got to get in. in. In my opinion, I think he has the resume for it, and he's another guy where I said it, exactly what you said. If he would have played in a in a New York, if he played in a Miami or a, a Denver, he's already in the Hall of Fame. I think. I mean, his numbers kind of speak for themselves. The only thing he doesn't have is a Super Bowl. Um, but he played in that era of a lot of really good running backs. So people throw out that he doesn't have like a high number of Pro Bowls to his name. Well, there were a lot of really good running backs he was competing with back mm-hmm. then, you know? So I I, I hope that this will kind of open the floodgates of sorts, and now that Tony's in, they can start that push to get Fred in there, and uh, we can get Tony some company uh, in the Jaguar section of the Hall yeah, of Fame. The, I mean, Tony has been the guy that Jacksonville's kind of hitched its wagon to in terms of the Hall of Fame candidacy, you know, making the, the push for him. He was the number one on the Jaguars' All-25 team, as voted on by uh, the members of the media. So Tony has been the guy, and it, it, it's rightfully so. I mean, I covered the Jags a lot when Fred Taylor was here, and the knock on Fred during that span. I equated almost to the Buffalo Bills going to the four Super Bowls and losing it 
that looks a lot more impressive the further away you get from that. The Buffalo Bills, what they did going to uh, those four straight and losing those. What Fred Taylor did, you know, the further out we get from that, it just looks so much better than it did while he was going through that. I mean, he had that fragile Fred moniker, uh, fair or unfair. He was banged up a lot. But his rookie season was fantastic. Would have probably been rookie of the year if not for Randy Moss's otherworldly season with the Vikings. So I think Fred's career in perspective is so much better than it was at the time. And and I do hope Hall of Fame voters will realize, you know, kind of realize that. Look at that. He, he ranked 17th in NFL history in rushing yardage, which is just unbelievable. And I think with passing as, as what it is now, I mean, Fred's, Fred is going to be in that top 20 probably all time with how the offenses have uh, set up uh, nowadays and the shorter lifespan of running backs in the league. So I, I do think the further we get away from Fred Taylor's playing career, the better his candidacy is. And I think that's uh, kind of what we saw with Tony. Um, and I think that will uh, I think Fred will stand um, even the better test of time the further we get out from his playing career. And I'd like to see him get in that Hall of Fame. Yeah, I think I think we could add another name to the list. So uh, now that brings, what, the total of local guys that have made it into the Hall of Fame up to five. We, we include uh, Tony Baselli. We've got Harold Carmichael, who got in um, in 2020. We've got Brian Dawkins, who uh, went to Reigns High School, who got in. Uh, Harold Carmichael, also a Reigns guy. And then um, we've got two more in there. Champ, Champ Bailey, Bailey from um, Charlton, Charlton County. County. Yeah, that's right. And then... Uh, Bob Hayes, of course. From who, Matthew Gilbert. From Matthew Gilbert, right? Oh, and got, then, yeah, and now we've got Leroy Butler, yeah. who brings our number up. Uh, Leroy Butler, of course, a Lee guy. Played for Corky Rogers there. Um, he, I don't know how it took so long for Leroy. Leroy was one of the best safeties of his time, and he created probably, I mean, arguably the most iconic touchdown or big play celebration in the NFL, creating the Lambeau Leap. I mean, if you're an NFL fan, you know what the you Lambeau know. Leap is. I mean, that almost alone is enough for you to get in the Hall yes, of Fame, absolutely. right? And it's Leroy, Leroy, whatever you want to call him, the guy is, is – unbelievable if you followed his career in Jacksonville I remember as a kid waking up and going out and uh, we talked about this earlier today but just when I was a kid one of my favorite things to do is run out and grab the paper the wet paper off the lawn come in and read especially on Saturday morning you'd read the high school football stuff and see names in the paper you recognized and Leroy and Edgar Bennett um, those uh, those old Lehigh guys playing under Corky Rogers everybody knew who they were uh, Butler was a, a safety, excuse me, a linebacker, part-time running back. And when you look at, at some of those wars that those guys played, um, it's just remarkable. You remember those guys. You can look in the archives now and just remember and see what a dynamite team was back then. And back then, those teams didn't all go to the playoffs. It wasn't district runner-up and district uh, champ go to the playoffs. It was just uh, district champion going to the postseason. Um, one of the best games, I think, in, in high school football area history was when Lee, the Corky Rogers-led Lee team with uh, Edgar Bennett and Leroy Butler on the, the team, played Emmett Smith's uh, squad out there from uh, the panhandle, and uh, they walked away with the uh, double or triple OT win. Um, so one of the, the few times in Emmett Smith's high school career that he was held to under 100 yards rushing wow. in a game, when, and uh, that was that Leroy Butler-led defense of Lee and uh, Corky Rogers. So Leroy, Leroy has, uh, has, goes back. If um, yeah, I, I mentioned this to somebody on the phone today. You kind of span two eras of the Hall of Fame guys. Tony Baselli is – is a 95 guy. He came here, a transplant from USC, mm-hmm. and made Jacksonville his home. Okay, Leroy, you know, for, for everybody who grew up in Jacksonville, followed high school football, followed Florida State, he was the guy. Um, 
one of the, the best players. I know at the Times Union did a top 100 athletes of the 20th century, um, and he was up there in, in the top two or three. Um, and that says a lot at the time when you're talking about guys from Jacksonville area ranking on a top 100 list. And at the time, in 2000, he was in that list of the, possibly the two or three best athletes ever to come out of this area. Wow. So that just shows you um, his mark. And I think this was uh, is such a such a great moment for, for Jacksonville, not only for Tony Baselli, um, but for the, the, the hardcore old Gateway crew, um, the people around Lee Riverside High School now. I think it was just such a signature moment for them um, because he's really done a lot for this area, philanthropy and football. Um, he's just really been a consummate pro in every step of the word going back to high school. Well, I've heard a lot of great stories from folks about about him and the, a lot of the work he's done. Uh, I, he's got to get, we've got to get a try of this uh, the, his leap vodka that he's got yeah, going. It's, how about it's that? Tough to get down here in Jacksonville. Apparently, it's all stationed up there in Wisconsin, but apparently he has his own brand of vodka. So uh, I'll have to see. I'm how sure he would sit and uh, sip with us one day too and talk about <laughs> some some old school uh, some old school stuff. Maybe. Is, if you never talked to Leroy. For listeners, if you see him, you, you go up and shake his hand. He'll talk to you, talk your ear off, and he is a good guy to talk to, a football mind, loves smiling, loves laughing, reminiscing, just a great guy, and, and you cannot feel good enough for a guy like that who makes the Hall of Fame. That is absolutely awesome. Hopefully they'll get some more Jacksonville uh, influence in the Hall of Fame over the next few years. We'll have to wait and see how all that shakes out. But the, the Jaguars hard at work um, doing some things of their own. Doug Peterson just announced a week ago, and he has not wasted any time putting together his coaching staff. Last weekend when he did his, uh, his introductory press conference, Doug was asked about if he thought he was behind the eight ball. He said no. And he, they asked him a uh, do you feel confident about uh, putting together a, a, a high-quality staff? He said extremely. So I, I think it, he clearly already had some plans in place because he has been moving fast. I mean, we're a week less than a week later, and he almost has all of the pieces in place. We already know who the offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator are. So Doug clearly came into this with, with some, uh, some thought in mind. Probably had already talked to a lot of guys. I guess let's start with the coordinators, and we'll hit on a couple of the other high notes on our way through. He did have um, about, a, about a month in between his yeah. first hire and his uh, first interview and his second. So he yeah. did have a little time to assemble. He could have probably assembled a staff for all 32 teams uh, in the NFL with the time he had in between his, his two interviews. He probably could have, honestly. You know, the one thing that I did uh, that, that I wanted to mention from that introductory press conference that I found a little interesting was Shad Khan said he really wanted to interview Doug Peterson last year when he was available, but Doug told him that, no, he wanted to take the year off and spend some time with his family. And Shad kind of said, you know, we were really interested in him a year ago, and it just didn't work out. So now this time around, he was our guy. Um, I don't know if he was their guy the whole way through the process or not, but I found that part really interesting that Shad did at least call back to last season when you know everybody basically said you know he, he you targeted Ur Urban Meyer from the onset, and he said, well, you know Doug was one of the guys I really wanted to talk to, and I just couldn't. So I wanted to, to get yeah, that out there. That was I, I question the sincerity. Of that. I do I think, too. I think it was, <laughs> I think it was uh, Urban Meyer, the Rooney rule candidates and uh urban meyer yeah. i think that was i think much, that's uh, why doug said shut. no because doug probably knew that then too and he you know he did mention uh, in fairness to doug that he wanted to take the year off coaching at some big life events i think he said his brother had passed his brother away from passed cancer away, that's right uh one of his children got married they had a grandkid so i think probably a good time uh to rest and recharge and i do the the, the week has that has gone by reflecting on some of the doug peterson comments and watching his presser again 
it just it seems like it's a right fit, mm-hmm. and I, I don't think I'm I'm saying that out of line or it's a, a recency bias of of the hire and he's saying the right things. I do think that it's the right fit at the right time. I think you've got a, a veteran football mind here. He's an offensive guy. Uh, he's making the right hires, and I think you see that with Trevor Lawrence, his reaction to it. I just think after the the stain of Urban Meyer, uh, the kind of inexperience in that coaching, um, the head coaching ranks there. I think it's good to have a veteran presence there addressing, you know, with a guy who is going to call his own plays. So that will be interesting to yes. see what uh, Press Taylor's role as an offensive coordinator is here in town. But I, I do think it's the right hire for this organization at the right time. And I, the more it, it's really grown on me over these last six days. Yeah, I think Doug definitely has the right temperament for that Jacksonville needs and that this team needs. It seems like Trevor Lawrence and a lot of the players extremely excited. Doug was actually met at the stadium by a collection of players. James Robinson, Trevor Lawrence, LaVishka Chenault, Caleb on Chason were all there. I, I asked Doug about that afterwards. He said, I wasn't welcomed like that in Philadelphia. And this just shows how badly these young players on the Jaguars roster want to win. So he's really encouraged about that. You kind of hit on Press Taylor, so I guess we'll start there. He's the offensive coordinator that uh, it looks like Doug is bringing here. Of course, Peterson planned to call the plays. Press Taylor was there with him in Philadelphia when they won the Super Bowl. He spent last season in Indianapolis as an offensive assistant, and now he's going to come here and be the offensive coordinator for the Jaguars working hand-in-hand with Peterson and, of course, Trevor Lawrence. So we'll have to see how Press Taylor's role kind of evolves. That's Zach Taylor's younger brother. Zach Taylor, of course, the head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals who are in the Super Bowl. If you can't get to the Super Bowl, right, you hire a relative of one of the That's right, you know. Hey, maybe it runs in the family. We'll have to see. But, you know, I, I don't think it's a bad hire. Uh, Doug did an extremely good job. I looked back at that Philadelphia staff that he had there. Oh, my goodness. When you look through some of the staffs and the and the folks that he had on that staff when he got there, he did an incredible job of putting together a staff, and he's already doing a good job here in Jacksonville. Like I was looking at it the other day. His staff is incomplete right now. It's probably be done by some point next week. I'd take his incomplete staff over Urban Meyer's completed staff <laughs> right now. And I, I like I, I really would because I've just you look at some of the guys that he's been able to bring in. Another name that hadn't been on the NFL market for a little bit. Mike McCoy is going to be the mm-hmm. Jaguars quarterback coach. McCoy, former head coach. a former head coach with the with the uh, Chargers, the San Diego Chargers at the time. He's worked with a lot of good quarterbacks over the course of his career. He's going to be your offensive or your quarterback coach working hand in hand with Trevor Lawrence. And the one thing that Trevor even kind of pointed out that between McCoy Press Taylor and Doug Peterson. All of them are former quarterbacks. Yep. You don't have a, a single guy that isn't hasn't seen it through the eyes of a quarterback before. All three of them have stood in that position, so that's going to add something. It should put Trevor in a little bit better position to succeed than what he was in last year, at least. Yeah, and I think that's that's good. And you're building again Peterson's identity as a coach is an offensive guy. Again, he yep. played quarterback. He's been in, in under center, face the rush, all the things that Trevor Lawrence wants to talk to a guy about. And I think Jacksonville made the hire with Trevor Lawrence in mind, and I think this staff is coming together with Trevor Lawrence in mind and developing him. And I, I cannot I, – I just don't think you could have gotten a better guy right now with what I think Jacksonville needs, and that's – and we beat the drum on this before – Bring a staff in here that has been there and done that. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if 
kind of divert back to this, but it, if you're going to hire an inexperienced guy, a Byron Leftwich kind of candidate, don't have that head coaching experience, insulate him there. Doug Peterson's saying, okay, well, I'm an experienced guy, and I'm still bringing in, in yes. experienced guys to this staff. There's not a uh, there's no rule book that says you you can't have enough NFL experience on a roster, and I think that's uh, that goes with that coaching staff too. And you're seeing that in those coaching hires as well. I mean. Mike McCoy's a freaking head coach of an NFL team, mm-hmm. and he's going to come here and play a, a quarterback coach role. That's unbelievable to me that they're putting a staff together with that much experience, and that's only going to benefit these guys here. Peterson's been around the NFL for so long as a player, as a coach, and he's a part of that Andy Reid coaching tree. He has so many. I mean, we did a, I did a story on News for Jackson, kind of started to go down his connections list. I couldn't dive too deep because he was connected to so many different coaches that I could start saying, well, this guy could come here. I mean, one of the guys that I'm really intrigued to see when this roster plays out is if Cully comes here. I mean, he's no longer the head coach of the Houston Texans. He has a history as a wide receiver coach. He hasn't been connected to the staff yet, but he does have a history with Doug Peterson. So it could it could be a nice fit. You mentioned that Peterson is an offensive guy, but one of the, the hires that I'm kind of the most intrigued by, two of them actually are on the defensive side of the ball. Um, the defensive coordinator, Mike Caldwell. Mike Caldwell is a former linebacker. He was on the Philadelphia Eagles with Doug Peterson back as a player. Um, and he's since found his way as a coach. He's coming from Tampa Bay where he was the outside linebackers coach. He's a part of that Bruce Arians kind of system, but he's been hanging out with Todd Bowles for a while. And that's what really intrigues me about this hire is because I've always been impressed by Todd Bowles as a defensive coordinator. He always seems to be on the forefront of some of those changes in the league. He's never been nailed to, this is how we have to do it. We run a 4-3, and this is all we can do. And a candidate for the Jaguars head coaching and job he was well. a And he was a candidate. And now you get kind of a disciple of that, and you hope that maybe Caldwell, a former player, can relate to some of those defensive guys, but also he can get some of that creativity from Todd Bowles and 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 fuse some of that into the Jaguars' defense and bring some of that creativity, bring a lot of those blitzes, which we do expect that he's going to have a very aggressive system that he instills. Um, But hopefully he has a lot of creativity that, you know, we've seen from Todd Bowles and not nailed to just the, well, we run a 3-4, this is what we do. Um, Adapt. 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 And that's what Bowles has done throughout his career, which is why I've always been high on him as a defensive coordinator is because he's not nailed to one thing, he adapts. And if Caldwell can pick that up and bring that here to Jacksonville and say, all right, well, let's see what 11 guys are the best guys, and then I'm going to figure out a system to put all 11 of them on the field at the same time and just cause havoc, you know what? We're good. That's right. <laughs> yeah. That's, let's do it. So, you know, the interesting thing to me is the press Taylor hire, offensive coordinator, are we going to see a situation like the first couple weeks when Daryl Bevel was the interim coach in Jacksonville where he was still calling plays on the sideline, um, and Brian Schottenheimer, is what, what's going to happen – he turned those play-calling duties over to Shoddy, um, I believe, his second week as an interim coach. What, Or maybe the third week as interim coach. It was second. Second week second as week. interim coach. Yeah. So what does a Press-Taylor offensive coordinator, Doug Peterson, head coach, calling that plays look like on game day on the sideline? My guess would be Doug's not going in the booth. Doug has to be on the sideline mm-hmm. as the head coach. So I, my guess would be that Press will spend his time in the press box and be that uh, mm-hmm. view from up top while Mike McCoy – um, is down there to meet with Trevor every time on the sideline when he comes back, and Doug Peterson will also be there to talk with him. My guess will be that uh, press will be the eyes from above of sorts. Um, that, that's just my guess. Uh, I also don't know where Caldwell will, will 
call his plays from, whether he will be on the booth or on the sideline. But I would expect that Press will be the guy uh, guy up in the box just because it, it would be extremely unorthodox for a head coach to do that. And Doug yes, called absolutely. his plays from the sideline when he was in Philly. So I'd expect that he does that. I'm uh, just curious how the, the offensive coordinator dynamic will exist with a head coach who is going to call plays? Or does well, Doug Peterson well, at some of, point turn those you know, over, like we saw with Bevel and, and Schottenheimer, does he turn those play-calling roles over? Is that dead set for him uh, I, that he's going to stay calling plays? Did he, did he call plays the entire time in Philly? He did. He okay. called plays the entire time in Philly. He mentioned that he wanted to call plays, and he thought that that was one of the things where he could contribute toward the team. One of the things that uh, they did in that Philadelphia staff was they had a lot of cooks in the kitchen, but each one was in charge of a different aspect of game planning, whether it be the two-minute offense, the run game. So Press will likely be in charge of some aspect of of preparation. Uh, Mike McCoy will likely be in charge of some aspect of this preparation, and then Doug will be the guy who's tasked with putting it all together on game day. Um, I, I, I don't expect – at some point, Press may end up getting this chance to call plays. Mm-hmm. It, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, he's an up-and-coming coach um, who likely wants to have that, that opportunity to call plays, to add that to his resume. But I, it would surprise me if Doug just handed those reins over unless the offense just struggled entirely or he needed to divert, devote his attention somewhere else. Uh, one other uh, hire on the defensive side of the ball that I thought is very interesting is Brinson Buckner. Um, he's a former player. He's mm-hmm. going to coach the defensive line group. One of the reasons why I think this is so intriguing is because he left Arizona to come to Jacksonville for the same position. Um, and one of the guys that he worked with in Arizona just happens to be a free agent. That's right. Chandler Bring Jones. Bring you know? him in. Yeah, so, that's, uh, that would be awesome. I believe Brinson was a, a former Florida State Seminole. He was. Florida State so, Seminole, Carolina yep. Panther in the NFL. And he coached Chandler Jones there in Arizona. Chandler, during an interview back when he was with the Patriots, uh, told ESPN that he grew up as a Jaguars fan and always dreamed of wearing teal. Was that dubbed or anything? Was actually, <laughs> was that his voice? Hey, that, that's what the interview said. He always dreamed of being a Jaguar as a kid, and now you know, hey, your, your coach comes to Jacksonville, you're a free agent, Trevor Lawrence is here, people like Doug Peterson. The Jaguars have a lot of money to spend. I'm just saying it could happen. Uh, you know, and hey, you let's know, hope. Yeah, let's hope. Fingers crossed. I mean, if you could land Chandler Jones to go along with with uh, with Josh Allen, all of a sudden Josh Allen, Smoot, and Jones, my goodness, you got a nice little pass yeah. rush trio, and then you still got that first overall pick. Where you could add a fourth if you wanted there. Uh, that that would give the Jaguars something to work with. I'd say. Speaking of that first overall pick, we've seen mock drafts and stuff start to to circulate. Um, Kayvon Thibodeau's dropped in uh, a couple of those mocks. Um, what are your thoughts on that number one? It seems to be right now Evan Neal, Hutchinson from Michigan. If you're picking number one, you're on the clock now, three minutes left to go. Who are you picking? Oh, man, that's tough. Um, I, you know, I'm. it depends on the system. I, I think Caldwell is going to come in here and run a flexible system. So, I, that, to me, that lowers Evan or uh, that lowers Hutchinson and would raise up Thibodeau in, as far as fit. Thibodeau more of an athlete. Hutchinson, I see him more as like a hand-in-the-ground defensive end. I think he, both of them are extremely talented. But I don't think Hutchinson would fit in a 3-4 or a flexible mm-hmm. kind of system. I just don't think so. He hasn't shown that he has that open field kind of ability so then um that narrows that those two down for me and then on the offensive end um you're you, you got to look at evan neal i mean right now the dark horse is akeem iwanku from 
NC State, a lot of people are saying he's rising up boards, and there, there are even some insiders who are saying he's the dark horse for that number one pick. You know, uh, if I was the Jaguars, I would not task a rookie with protecting Trevor's blind side. I, I wouldn't do it. I would try and trade down. I would be on the phone trying to move the pick as fast as possible. I would do it before we get close to draft day. That's what I would do. If I'm on the clock and I've got three minutes left to make the pick, though, right now, uh, I mean, it, it would be between the two defensive guys for me. So, or actually three, because I'd throw Kyle Hamilton in there from Notre mm-hmm. Dame. Um, but I think I'd end up land, landing on Thibodeau. I'd, I'd go with that. You can't have too many pass rushers. I just don't like the idea of throwing a rookie out there to protect Trevor's blind side, especially after the trauma he went through Mm -hmm. last season behind that offensive line. So um, I would spend some money. I mean, Teron Armstead is a free agent. The Saints don't have a lot of cap space. I would throw a bag at him and try and get him to come to Jacksonville and protect Trevor's blind side. Uh, Trent Bulky is a huge fan of Cam Robinson. It would not surprise me if Trent Bulky throws a contract at Cam and tries to keep him here in Jacksonville to protect Trevor's blind side. That would not surprise me one bit. And do you draft an Evan Neal in that situation and put him at right tackle? Do you mm. move Cam to left? I mean, I what what do you do there if you're taking an offensive? I tackle? wouldn't ta- take a right tackle at the first pick. I mean, I think Walker Little can play the right side. I think Walker Little showed he can play. Um, the only reason we're having the conversation of not just elevating him to left tackle is A, because of the turnover on the coaching staff, but B, because the Jaguars have the number one overall pick and the ability to get another guy. Is it uh, tougher to find that cornerstone left tackle or that slam dunk pass rusher? Left tackles are definitely tougher yeah. to find. So, but what scares me is that because they're so tough to find, as you have seen in Jacksonville Jaguars history, Luke Jokel, you also have a higher bus risk. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying that Evan Neal or uh, Akeem from NC State has those those necessarily bus risk traits, but there is a high bus risk or, or when it comes to the, taking those offensive linemen early in the NFL draft or in the NFL draft, period. Mm-hmm. We've seen Walker Little can play. I think there is a world where Jawan Taylor can get better and improve and be a sustainable part of your offense. Um, it... To me, I think in order to improve your offensive line, you want to have guys that have been there and done that. Uh, no matter who the guy is, there's going to be growing pains if you're a rookie. And Trevor does not need any more growing pains blocking <laughs> from him. And, I mean, the, the Jaguars' offensive line is going to be turned over this offseason. Mm-hmm. A.J. Can a free agent. Andrew Norwell a free agent. Technically, I could make a, a strong case to keep or get rid of Brandon Linder. That whole interior could be new. I mean, regardless, you'll probably have two new guards starting. Yep. Um, if you replace Cam with a rookie, then you've got a new left tackle. If you, you slide Walker over or replace Jawan in any capacity, you've got a new right tackle. We could be looking at four out of five completely new and guys. that's what it shakes down to be if you're not planning on bringing the Norwell back. Right. I mean, if you're getting rid of Linder. And, so. and do you, is that a great place to put a rookie at left tackle? It, it's, not, it's not exactly ideal. I would prefer to – I'd throw a bag at Teron Armstead. I mean, I think when he's healthy, he is one of the top guys in the league. I would tell Walker Little, look, you're going to go in and compete at right tackle. I'd draft a, 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 another tackle probably in maybe the third round and call him depth um, and tell him he could also compete for that right side, but you're going to be our backup or Walker can be our swing, whatever, however you want to look at it. I would add players there, but I would get a veteran guy to come in and be that left 
until Walker and Jawan have at it for the right side, and then you figure out guard. You can technically get good guards in the draft in the second, third round. That's not a problem. You can also get them cheap in free agency. Mm-hmm. For Trevor's sake, for me, I want established NFL guys. I wouldn't mind bringing A.J. Cam back. I think he's solid. I think he can compete. I think they need to bring competition yes, on the offensive of line instead of just saying, these are our five guys, we're just going to go. No, uh, bring in a bunch of faces and let's see how it all shakes out. I don't think a rookie is the best thing to do because for Trevor's sake, after this year, we saw the offensive line. It didn't do him any favors. In order for him to really progress, he needs to be able to have an offensive line he can play behind. If Evan Neal is going to get to where he's going to get, it's still going to take him a process. It'll take him five, six games to figure it out. We've seen that from offensive linemen. Very few of them just go out there and figure it out instantly. The speed change is different. The strength is different. The guys that you play are different. So no matter who that tackle is, they're going to have a learning curve. And is he ready for week one? I don't know. Is Teron Armstead going to be ready for week one? Yeah, I bet he is. So I, 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 that's what I'd do. I'd go out get the guy that's established. He's been there. He's done that. Say, Trevor, we're going to protect you with the best of the best. And I'd get the top guard on my board and – in the second round, maybe the third round, whatever it is, and say, all right, well, that's where our rookie will go in the interior instead of doing it that way. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they bring Cam back, though, instead of Armstead. Uh, it just depends on what kind of contract he likes. Like I said, Trent Baalke really likes Cam. Mm-hmm. So it, when, you're, when your GM has a huge fan of a guy that's on your roster, says he's a leader in the locker room, thinks he's played at a high level, Cam played through an injury last season that wasn't highly publicized for because he was able to push through it. So – you know, he, it, it, they could easily say, okay, well, we're going to bring Cam back so that way we at least have some familiar faces along the O-line. We'll have to see how it all shakes out. I wouldn't take Evan Neal, number one. I wouldn't take either of the tackles, number one. I'd either go Thibodeau um, or trade down, I think. Uh, I would trade down. Yeah. Ideally, that's my – If I was on down. the clock, I would try and – even if it's moving down to number three and picking up an extra second-round pick, something like that. If I was I them, that. I would be out there, I don't know, whispering about how great all these quarterbacks are. All these quarterbacks are great. You know, somebody wants to take one at number two. You want your guy, you got to come to number one to get him. That's what I do. I mean, because, like, I really like Kyle Hamilton. I think he could be great in the NFL, and he has size, speed combinations. But taking a safety at number one, that's tough, especially after they spent so much money on Rayshon last year, drafting Andre Sisco. Like, I I can't convince myself of the value there. I wouldn't mind Devin Neal. Like, I just, to me, I think. Trevor deserves a veteran offensive line that he can play behind. That makes sense. Um, you know, you don't see – you didn't see uh, – well, they did do it for Tom Brady, but Tristan Wirfs is a little bit of a different, different mm-hmm. conversation as, as well. You know, you want to put a good offensive line in front of him, but you want to be stable. And how can you be stable? You A, they need to bring more leaders in the locker room, which Armstead also checks that box. Um, but – I. I just I if I was them I would use every bit of cap space they got this offseason. I would go and get two bang free agents. Chandler Jones, Teron Armstead, and we can figure the rest out later. And draft away. Draft and, then, and then you draft away. I mean, if you if you can fix both of those needs in free agency, now you can get crazy with your draft pick. If you can't trade down, maybe you do take a wide receiver at number 1 overall because you know you need one. Um, you know, if you can, if they, but that's why I like the the setup for the NFL better than the NBA. You do free agency first. I can go get fill my roster, and then the when the draft comes, I just take the best player. Mm-hmm. You know, all right. If I get Thibodeau, and I say, okay, well, he's raw. He can come in and play a little bit, but you know, I already got Chandler Jones. I got Josh Allen. I got Dewan Smoot. Thibodeau, you gotta come and earn these reps. 
you know, that's fine. Same thing. If you say Hutchinson's your guy um, and you already got pass rushers in front of him, you're not drafting for need. You always should draft for best player available, period. So use free agency to fill out the roster. They have a ton of money. They need to spend it. We'll get into that in later news for Jags podcast on, you know, some of these other targets. But I just I don't like drafting for need. And if they wait and go into the into the draft with no left tackle in place, then you have to take Evan mm-hmm. Neal. You don't even have a choice to really do a ton of homework. I mean, even though you've already had the combine and stuff by the time free agency hits, but you, you're not giving yourself an option. You know, what if something, what if a Laramie Tunsil, another Jacksonville guy, uh, you know, situation pops mm-hmm. up the night before the draft? What yep. if something pops up on Evan Neal and all of a sudden that resume doesn't look so good? Now you're sitting there at number one like, we dug ourselves a hole, and we can't get out of it. That's true. Cam yeah. Robinson is a former Alabama guy. He is. So he is. interesting to see. You know, I think Cam has been okay. He's not been – I think he's been an above-average tackle in his career. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I mean, Peeney Sewell last year was went number seventh, right? And so, he struggled. And he struggled. He struggled. And, and that and was an offensive lineman who was the best in – X amount of years. He was viewed as a lock. I mean, people thought he was going to be, you know, can't miss. Mm -hmm. People were calling for the Bengals' heads because they didn't draft him to block for Joe Burrow. That's why I, you know, hey, you know, if we want to get into draft philosophy based on what we've seen from Cincinnati and how the NFL is now, we can go down that road. Mm -hmm. But uh, I just don't think drafting an offensive lineman is the best way to go. I wouldn't mind retaining Cam at the right price. I question what he wants as a price tag, especially after playing on that free franchise tag this year. Um, but I think there's work that can be done, and I think they can add some stuff. Um, we'll see how it all shakes out. I wouldn't draft an offensive lineman at number one. I'd either I trade agree. down, draft a pass rusher, or, I mean, ideally trade down. That's the idea. Trade down is yeah. the best. And too bad there's not that quarterback. Um, you know, like a, you look at the Baker Mayfield draft. There was, I mean, he was not even in the conversation to be number one overall until about a week before the draft. Right. So you hope something like that happens where a team falls in love with the guy that they can't live without. Yeah. The Browns loved Mayfield late in the process and said, we're taking him number one. But It always it, happens unless that Unless there's way. a Malik Willis, you know, lover or something, the, the Kenny Pickett, you know, somebody falls in love with him. It, it's going to be. It always happens that way. You know, I've, I've, I kind of went on, I said it to some guy earlier in the season that there will be a quarterback in like the top ten. It's It always happens. Always there's happens. a guy that's a riser. It always happens. And somebody, they were like, not this year. There's just not the talent. It's going to happen. I mean, look at look at the teams that need quarterbacks. And then if you go and look at the free agent quarterbacks out there, like, who do you get? Teddy Bridgewater? That's your guy? Yeah. You know, if you're Pittsburgh, who are you really going with Mason Rudolph next season? Probably not. You want to at least give yourself a chance, right? You're going to have to trade up and get somebody. So there's going to be a guy who wows at the combine. His interviews are great. Um, there's already, you know, word that Malik Willis was very impressive at mm-hmm. the Senior Bowl. So maybe he's the guy who, in private workouts and stuff, starts people start fall in love with him and his athletic ability, and he can he can rise in the process. And maybe the Jaguars can trade out of that pick. Uh, Trent Baalke is going to have some work to do for yeah. sure, but I wouldn't. I just taking that tackle at number one worries me because you don't have a way out, and you're essentially picking that guy and saying he's got to be our starter. And we don't have another option, so hey, Evan, come on in and be our left tackle. Eh, I'd bring in Teron 
or somebody else. I mean, there's some a couple other options out there on free agency. Teron Armstead, definitely the best of the bunch. I mean, or retain Cam. Again, not a, he's not awful. No, he's Just, not awful. The question is the price tag. What's the price difference between Cam and Teron? And then you also have to take into account that Cam doesn't really miss games. Teron does. So, I mean, availability is definitely valuable. If you can retain Cam, maybe get a couple of new guards in there, swing Walker over to the right side from that left tackle, I think you can be in a position where all of a sudden that new offensive line, Trevor feels a lot more comfortable. And if you added a pass rusher or trade down and get a wide receiver, whatever it may be, um, you could be in a position where your defense is just as good as your offense and Saxonville can be back. Yeah, hey, you know, Calais Campbell, a free agent too, so maybe we bring the bring mayor home, you know, bring him back, <laughs> bring him back. You know, so it, it could be an interesting time. Hey, and I, I think I said it after Doug Peterson kind of did his introductory press conference. Second year in Philadelphia, won a Super Bowl. I'm not saying that he set the bar for himself high, but the it's bar high. set. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that'll do it for this week's News for Jacks podcast. We'll check in with you next week. Thanks for tuning in.